This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very interesting episode about physical activity, joint health, and osteoarthritis, and how is it to do podcast as a researcher. And we have a brilliant guest. Our guest is working as a professor of medicine at University of Sydney and the Royal North Shore Hospital, Sydney, Australia. His main research focus has been clinical and translational research in osteoarthritis. He is also hosting the Joint Action Podcast and is called also as the Joint Doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor David Hunter. Welcome, David. Thank you very much, Ollie. It's a great pleasure to have me along. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. So should we start with the short introduction, who you are? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a husband, a father, um, but most of the time I don't get to spend as much time with my family as I would like. I would describe myself as a clinician researcher focused on osteoarthritis. Um, and so what does that mean? I, it means I'm largely doing clinical research targeted towards people that have knee, hip and hand problems. Um, not sure what you want with the introduction, but if I want to extend it to outside interests, outside of work, um, I enjoy kayaking, I enjoy swimming, um, enjoy staying healthy. And I would, you know, think for the listeners of this podcast, stay relatively active most of the time. And pre-COVID, I used to spend a lot of time traveling, both for work and for pleasure. And I'm looking forward to my first international trip this Saturday in the last two years, and hopefully going to go for a skiing trip in North America. And and your hobby is kayaking and swimming. Is it for the good for the joint health? Have you chosen them thinking of your knees? Yeah. So well, I, I probably also should say I do quite a bit of uh, cycling, mountain biking and road biking as well. Um, but historically, I used to play a lot of rugby growing up, a lot of soccer, um, and used to also do quite a lot of triathlons. Um, and let's just say um, the clinical research interest in osteoarthritis is motivated not only by a desire to help the community, but also to help myself. My right knee, uh, by virtue of an injury I sustained while playing rugby, is not what it could be. Um, but by virtue of uh, you know continued maintenance of activity and strength work and and other things, I keep it under pretty good control. Yeah, that's that's good. Good to have relevance for your research from the own own perspective, also. So, so if we start about joint health and and physical activity, probably our listeners know something, but not not too much. So, could you tell us the the basic and the most most important things first? Yeah, I think the most critical element here is to understand that uh, joints do well with physical activity. Most of the tissues within the joint themselves, particularly the cartilage, but also to to some extent, the bone does well by virtue of uh, activity as a stimulus, and it's trophic for the organ as a, as a, as a whole. So um, without activity, um, and there I'm think, particularly thinking about uh, things like 
uh, traveling in space uh, for people who've had a spinal cord injury, for example, and who are immobile as a consequence of those injuries, their joints tend to lose some of their structure. So at least from a biological and a pathological perspective at a cellular level, uh, physical activity is incredibly helpful. Um, I think historically, the general community had this perception that our joints only had a certain number of steps that we could take during our lifetime. And when we exceeded that, we were likely to, um, for our joints to sustain damage and for them to deteriorate and to develop osteoarthritis. And that myth is, a, again, another important one to dispel um, so that um, in general, the best evidence would currently suggest that we we benefit from physical activity. It's likely a bit of a U-shaped curve uh, as far as our joint health is concerned, such that uh, too little activity is likely deleterious. And we know that sedentariness and, and other factors uh, play a role in a whole lot of other diseases and osteoarthritis would be included amongst them. Um, and that you do need that trophic stimulus to maintain joint health. A certain amount of physical activity is really beneficial. But then if you overdo it, and I don't have a necessary a threshold here, but there is some evidence to suggest that those people who are ultra marathoners and who engage in uh, physical activity potentially beyond a certain threshold, and at least in the laboratory, some studies that have been done on uh, beagle dogs that were made to run uh, marathons every day on a treadmill for a certain period of time also sustained uh, damage to their joints consistent with osteoarthritis. So physical activity is generally considered very helpful. For most people in the general community, we strongly advocate that it's helpful for a healthy joint um, and that too little activity is likely deleterious. That would be the broad concepts. So how, how do you see it in comparison, the cartilage versus muscle versus bone? I think with each of those tissues is that training is good, but you shouldn't overdo it. You cannot cannot stress it too much and it needs to be progressive. Do you see how are the similarities and differences? Yeah, so it's a really good question, Ollie, and I'll, I'll just try and disentangle it a little bit. We know that for maintenance of good joint health, the periarticular muscles, so those muscles crossing the joint, are really important that they be strong from the perspective of joint stability, from the perspective of uh, joint alignment. Um, if you put too much load through a joint, and there I'm particularly thinking about um, uh, people who carry excessive weight, um, people who are carrying around large backpacks for long periods of time, so potentially people in the military, um, and also in in the context of pregnancy, we know that changes that go on in the joint, adaptations that occur as a consequence of that load, are not overly helpful. So at least from a structural perspective, we know that activity to some extent is helpful for cartilage health, it's helpful for bone health, and we want to maintain muscle integrity for the, for the perspective of, of joint health as well. Um, Sport and activity, and I'm probably conflating two terms that you will tell me later on, definitionally we should be completely separating, um, is to some extent a double-edged sword. Um, so we want people to be physically active and it's really important for their joint and their general health that they do remain physically active. But we'd like them 
particularly from a sporting perspective, to participate in sports safely. One of the really well-known and important risk factors for joint health is injury. Um, and so sports, uh, particularly those that involve sudden dynamic changes in the position of the knee, uh, do increase susceptibility to rupture of the, particularly the cruciate ligament, one of the main stabilizing ligaments of the knee. But that can also damage other structures in the knee, the meniscus and other ligaments. Um, and so certain sports have a greater predisposition to that. Um, and as a consequence, uh, participation in sport and injury is one of the major risk factors for the development of osteoarthritis. So in general, we want people to be active. We want people to participate in sport, but we want them to do so safely. And so by that, I, I mean, uh, we'd like people uh, who participate in sport to be aware of the, the ideal positioning of their knee, to have some sense of neuromuscular control and positioning. Um, and in general, with neuromuscular training programs like uh, FIFA and PEP and, and other neuromuscular training programs, you can actually prevent the incidence of most injuries from occurring and likely the development of osteoarthritis in a large segment of the population as well. So avoiding injuries important for long-term health of your joints this this makes me feel bad i have had like quite many quite many injuries in my knees luckily not the cruciates i have had like a jumper's knee an osgood's clutter disease uh one meniscus tear and then one rupture of the medical medial collateral ligament how do you see my my future what is the prognosis of my knees Let's take those one at a time, Ollie, because I think for some of them, it's more developmental and transitory. Um, so let's let's take Osgood Schlatter's for, in the first instance. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with that, it's likely something that you developed in your early to late teenage years. You probably changed physical activity. It's before you'd had um, complete fusion of the insertion of the uh, tibial uh, ten, the patella tendon in the tibial tuberosity. Um, and what often happens when the muscles are stronger than that insertion point is the muscles can actually start producing a traction injury. More often than not, that's a transient problem that just occurs in teenage years. And for most people, they don't have persistent problems related to that. And it doesn't cause any long-term sequelae other than a small bump at the front of your knee. Um, for the jumper's knee, again, um, you know, I'm assuming you participated in a sport that involved some degree of dynamic lift. Uh, you know, um, I'm going to jump to conclusions here, but let's, if you're in Scandinavia, I'm wondering if that's European handball or um, or basketball. Yeah, that was actually baseball, but a lot of acceleration, deacceleration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so again, for most people that have that, it's usually a transient problem while they're continuing to play that sport and assuming they didn't have marked structural changes in their patella tendon, uh, there's usually no long-term sequelae from that. Um, I don't know what your experience from that is, whether you've still got persistent problems, but for most people, it's not an ongoing issue. Mm, no, 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 nothing anymore. Yeah. The medial collateral, again, assuming it was a strain and or, and or a partial tear and not a complete rupture, um, for most people that repairs pretty well. 
um, and joint stability long term is usually pretty good. So again, I'm again I'm not sure of your circumstance, but for most people that's that's fine. The meniscus, however, and I'm leaving it to last for a particular reason, um, is something that's really vital to joint health long term. I mean, historically, um, surgeons had a penchant to remove these, not necessarily at a whim, but they used to do total meniscectomies on people on a regular basis. These days, there's a strong inclination to meniscal preservation, whether that be through reparation of tears and or just leaving the meniscus uh, alone um, and not resecting anything. Um, the meniscus and its hoop stress and distribution of forces is critical for joint health long-term and the greater uh, destruction of the meniscus, whether that be through uh, tears, substance change or maceration, the greater risk of aberrant dis distribution of forces across the joint. Um, and so long term, we know that damage to the meniscus is likely in the context of an ACL injury, the critical thing. Um, it's not really the ACL that plays the huge role here in terms of long term osteoarthritis risk. It's really the concomitant damage to the meniscus and osteochondral structures that likely increase risk of osteoarthritis long term. So as long as you have most of your medial meniscus intact, Ollie, um, I would be confident that it doesn't increase your risk substantially. The more you have removed, the more it is defunctioned, the more it um, extrudes from the joint or is subluxed out of the joint, the more likely you are to develop osteoarthritis long term. So, you know, without without looking at your joint per se, um, and particularly images of it, it's probably hard to say, but I would imagine most of your meniscus is still intact. And so I think long term, the prognosis is good. Are you a medical doctor, physical therapist, personal trainer, or someone else helping individuals in making a change towards a healthier, better life? Imagine a behavior change tool designed for professionals like you to help your clients achieve better results and at the same time provide you with more income. Fibian is that tool. It offers an evidence-based way for health and wellness professionals to extend their services into coaching. The only thing your client needs to do is put a tiny Fibian device into their pocket for a week. The device collects objective physical activity data from your client. Fibian helps you to educate and coach your clients through this change towards a more active and healthy life. Strengthen your expert status. Distinguish yourself from the competition. Order Fibian now at Fibian.com. All right, so it doesn't look that bad. So basically, you want to keep your cruciate ligaments good and especially like avoid big injuries in the meniscus, right? Yeah, yeah. And as I was alluding to before, there are great programs um, that are available called neuromuscular training programs to prevent most of those injuries occurring in people who are participating in sports that put them at risk. So really, obviously, continue being active, continue participating in their sports, but ideally do so safely with the knowledge that you can prevent most of those injuries from occurring. Yeah, that's that's good good points. And and how is it like probably most of us want to take care of our our joint health? Can you can you predict how is your joint health, for example, from the pain that you experience or does it just develop without noticing? How how does it usually go? 
Yeah, so for, I mean, the natural history of osteoarthritis is usually a very, is one of a very insidious progression. Uh, the, the median age of onset is usually in the mid-50s. It's more common amongst women. Um, and the, typically the way it would start is with uh, pain on activity. And so, the, you know, for example, if we're talking about the knee and the other common joints that we would talk about in this context would be hips and hands. But if we're talking about the knee, it might be that, you know, a person has intermittent pain that occurred after prolonged activity, particularly if they were doing a lot of uh, activity that they were otherwise unaccustomed to. So, so for example, if they, you know, started climbing mountains or did a long stair climb that they weren't otherwise used to, and they felt some joint line related pain after that. So we're not talking about the dull delayed onset muscle soreness that you might get following activity around the joint. We're talking about specifically joint-related pain that may occur intermittently following that activity. And that might happen for a number of years. Um, and that's what we would probably call flare or episodes of pain. And that's usually the first sign that you might be susceptible to osteoarthritis. Clinically, when we hear that story, um, and particularly at least from an examination standpoint, if a person has crepitus, which is you know, on examination, a grating-like sensation that you might feel on joint movement. Some people it's audible, and so they'll hear a squeaking, cracking, or a popping noise as they go up or down stairs, for example. That's often one of the first signs that we might see in a person who's at risk. Uh, again, we might take a, a history as to whether they've had an injury to their joints, whether they've got a family history of osteoarthritis, um, and those episodes may go on for a number of years over the period of time. And, you know, the, the life course of the average person with osteoarthritis is about 25 years from the first onset of symptoms to what we call probably joint death or joint replacement or end-stage joint disease. Um, and so for most people that within that 25 years, the vast majority of that 25 years is these intermittent episodes. It's really only in the last, you know, five to 10 years that those episodes become less discrete, closer together, and the experience potentially also contains one of this chronic low-level background pain as opposed to just episodic discomfort. Mm. So basically you said it's being a flare and usually comes from a long loading, whether it's stair climb or something. How do you see strength training? Like it's quite a big loading, but usually just a few seconds. Is it different than, than this one? So strength strength training in general is something that we prescribe both for from a prevention standpoint in a person who's at risk, um, but also for people that have osteoarthritis to preserve the structural integrity of the joint through maintaining alignment and maintaining stability. Um, you know, there are now a number of different studies that have compared uh, one repetition max type exertion to uh, less strength training exertion and find no deleterious benefit from a higher strength training loads. So, you know, I think historically a lot of people believed that maximum type loading through strength training was likely to be deleterious. There's no evidence to suggest that's the case. As long as the joint is um, the joint's integrity is preserved. So, and by that qualifying comment, what I mean is as long as you haven't injured the joint. Um, and if you've, you know, if you've sustained 
some injury, whether that be to the meniscus, the ACL, that creates momentary instability and changes in contact area and stress, you do you will need to modify how you strength train so that potentially you're not increasing contact stresses to the point where they're likely to be deleterious. But in the native joint, there's no evidence to suggest that um, uh, maximum load through strength training is likely to be deleterious. And and is there any exercises that should be avoided if you have a healthy joint and any exercises that should be avoided if you have, have some injury in your meniscus? Um, so I, I guess firstly in the healthy joint, um, I guess it's always difficult to be categorical about an answer, but I'm inclined to say no, there is no particular sport that I would otherwise encourage a person to avoid in an otherwise normal, healthy native joint. I mean, some sports I don't see the sense of. Um, you know, for example, I don't understand the point of mixed martial arts, for example, um, when they're essentially attacking a person's head and giving them a concussion injury, but that's that's more of an ethical issue rather than a knee-related issue. Um, but for a native joint that's otherwise healthy, there's no sport that I can think of that is otherwise um, should be avoided because of concerns about joint health. Um, for a person who's injured their joint, um, I, I think it's important that they undertake activities that are likely to preserve the joint longer term. And so the same neuromuscular training as I was talking about before to prevent joint injuries is ideally also suited to prevent further structural damage and further injuries in a person who's injured their joint. So that's really about training a person to understand, you know, the joint position and its sense in space um, to improve strength, to improve functional stability and balance. Um, and I would encourage everybody who's participating in sport, who's previously sustained an injury to their cruciate or the or their meniscus to, to do that neuromuscular training to prevent further injury. Um, but... And there are, I mean, there are people in the field who suggest that people who've sustained um, a tear to one of the vital structures of the knee, whether that be the meniscus or the ACL, shouldn't continue to participate in high impact activities. I'm not a believer with that statement. I mean, I think for for some people, it's uh, particularly people who participate in professional sports. Um, they they need to. Um, continue to participate in those activities. So I wouldn't discourage them from doing so. Um, and I think with appropriate guidance and supervision and coaching and professional help, particularly from you know a, a good physical therapist or physiotherapist, uh, most people who've sustained an injury can get back to the sport that they otherwise previously enjoyed and participated in, irrespective of the level of impact it has. So you can do quite many things even if you are have some some injuries and you have mentioned this neuromuscular training do you have any episodes about it in your podcast and maybe give us give a short description how how it is yeah so we did a great episode with one of the doyens of joint injury um, and joint health and prevention of joint injury called tim hewitt and it was specifically around mechanisms for neuromuscular training prevention and the benefits that a person might otherwise gain Uh, in the context of uh, reducing risk of ACL injury, but also reducing risk of re-injury in those people that have already sustained an ACL injury. So I would really 
strongly encourage you to listen listen to that from Tim Hewitt on the Joint Action Podcast. Um, as mentioned, it talks a lot about the merits and benefits of doing so and also links to a lot of resources for people that might be more interested in accessing those programs directly um, and what programs are currently available that would assist a person who's active in sport around neuromuscular training. And and do you think this kind of training and education should be involved in normal training program of of athletes, maybe young athletes? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think it's a societal need and we have a responsibility for anybody who participates in sports, particularly those uh, where there's a greater risk of um, joint injury. And there I'm particularly thinking about, um, you know, I don't know where your listeners are, Ollie, but let's let's assume a lot of them are in Europe. Uh, sports like um, football or soccer, uh, European handball, basketball, uh, skiing, um, are all sports that have a greater in, greater frequency of injury to their joints. In all of those sports, all of the participants, whether they're um, junior participants, whether they're professionals, ideally should be participating in some neuromuscular training as part of their regular practice. Yeah, so, sounds good. So how, how do you see, how could we implement this? What would be the practical steps that we could actually do it this way? So a lot of the Scandinavian countries have done it better than most other countries around the world um, and that they've instituted that at a societal level and mandated amongst all coaches and trainers that they do this as part of their training programs. Uh, and so, you know, as I say, for many of those uh, Scandinavian countries that have implemented this nationwide, they've reduced their injury rates following neuromuscular training program implementation by in the order of 50 to 60%. So it has a really substantial benefit. Um, from an implementation perspective, it's you know it's about uh, teaching the coaches and trainers how to do this, and giving them um, the motivation and merit to do so. Um, and so you know obviously I'm talking about injury prevention, but we're also by the same token talking about continued active participation. Because when a person injures their joint, they're less likely to be able to continue to participate. And it may well be that they can't continue in that sport longer term. So it's about continued healthy participation um, in the sport and improved performance. Uh, so I think there's a lot of important motivations here. And I think if you're a coach, if you're a trainer, and you're responsible for training a sporting team, I think it's, to me, It's a it's a moral imperative. It's a responsibility that you have to your athlete to preserve their joint health, the integrity of that joint, and the continued participation in sport longer term. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.